0: Should lying be made illegal and the importance of figuring out why you believe what you believe? Behind the podcast of episode EF5. I'm Scott Ely. Welcome to episode EF21 of the Evolve Faster podcast. You're about to listen to a behind the podcast looking back at episode EF5, which was season one, episode two of the Evolve Faster podcast titled, The Truth is Clay in the Hands of a Sculptor. The driving question of this episode and this behind the podcast for you to think through is what is the truth and why do I believe what I believe? There may be spoilers here, so if you have not listened to the original episode and are interested in doing so, I'd suggest doing so before you listen to this. So I'm just going to read a paragraph from the website describing this plot so you can remember what it was about. Truman, an ordinary man with a regular job, is caught lying in a country where lying is illegal. Thanks to his actions, he ends up facing a mandatory truth course to get him back on track. Terrified, Truman slowly realizes that the truth is not what we all grew accustomed to believing it is. Is it possible that the truth is nothing more than a piece of clay molded by someone's interests? Time is running out for Truman, and the sculptor of the truth might just hold the power to mold his future. I think that most people think of the truth as some sort of metal that can't be bent. It is what it is, especially not by the arms of one person. Perhaps collective mental strength and enough manpower can leverage it to bend. But in reality, isn't the truth more like clay in the hands of the person interpreting it or the platform presenting it? In today's world where we learn almost everything online, it takes hard work for the truth to actually become uniform, solid, and nearly unbreakable. And even then, the job is never complete. Einstein's theorems and conclusions seemed outlandish at the time, primarily because they challenged long-standing laws of nature that the scientific community mostly treated as immutable. But his ideas created new truths and proved to upgrade other former truths. And now, the same is happening to his work. The wheel keeps on turning. but. Until any truth gets to the point of having deep integrity and inflexibility, it goes through an extremely long process of sculpting. What I'm saying is the truth about the truth. The question is, will you take my word for it? Or, what will you do to investigate what I'm saying? This is the spinning wheel in constant motion that episode EF5 tried to tackle. As I said a few times in my earlier Behind the Podcast episodes, During the making of season one, I was traveling with my family around the globe. So we went to about 25 countries over the course of 12 months with our one-year-old. And we stayed in places that ranged from about a week to a month, depending on how much we liked a place and our decision to dig in there or not. It was on one hand an incredible once-in-a-lifetime experience, because my daughter will never be one again, On the other hand, it was an experience that didn't go as I expected in some ways, considering the constant juggling between our actual travel and exploring, just booking all the travel, spending time with my family, running our real estate projects from abroad, and developing this podcast in any leftover hours that I could find each day. So as you might guess, juggling these multiple chainsaws would present... A challenge to even the best jugglers to not cut off some vital limb while trying to be in the moment of each of these things in turn which is exactly how i managed it in turn one one at a time anyway at the time of writing this episode i was in bali where we stayed for a month in a really terrible airbnb it was actually one probably one of the worst if not the worst place we stayed over the entire 12 months it was we were only there a couple days but it was a hot and the place stunk of mothballs because they were trying to cover up some sewer smell. I mean, Indonesia is you know fairly third world, so these things can happen, but we'd chosen last minute and chosen poorly, and only one of three bad places that we picked out of an entire 50 places we stayed for the year, so our odds were were pretty good except for this one. But besides all that, I was very frustrated with this episode. Forget about the mothballs and the sewer smell, this episode had already been a thorn in my side for months, so the smell was just the stinky cherry on top. I liked Antonio's initial idea on this one, and at the time, it was just a a lean version of just the Truman story. It was just, it was okay, but it was just way too much like The Trial and 1984 and every other truth-based dystopia trope, so, which makes sense because Like myself, Antonio's a big Orwell and Kafka fan, so in helping me on this one, I guess he just couldn't fight the common creative trap to fall into that not so subtle concept copying in the first draft. So this is a great example of how your inspiration can in a way become your enemy, which is another obstacle in your creativity, but we'll leave that for a later episode. So back to this episode, it was nothing new, It felt like recycling almost exploiting you know one of those stories where the the listener in only the first few minutes will likely think okay this sounds way too orwellian we both felt this way so you might still think that in fact about the truman part of the story we'd probably change it even more if we had time and we were we were to redo it today but How did it go from this to what we ended up with, which we're actually very proud of and has become one of the more popular episodes. So I'll tell you more about that story later. For now, I'll just say I was happy when I finally left the sewer smell behind me as the second half of Bali in a place called Abud was probably our favorite two weeks of the entire year. So sometimes you have to sludge through the rain, mud, and smells to get to the sunshine. So since this is a behind the podcast episode, let me take you further behind the scenes of this episode by answering questions related to how it was created. Try to get through as many of the following questions as I can. How can we know what's true and what's not? Why the question, what is the truth? Why do I believe what I believe? In what ways does twisting the truth directly affect us as individuals? Is there a definition of the truth that actually works? How did you figure out how to interplay the two stories? Who, what is Truman based on? And is this like Kafka's trial? Was there any chance that Truman was going to get out of the truth course? Why leave it unresolved? What does George write onto the book that the statue is holding that, quote, only the statue can read, quote? What's on the screens? The in God we trust is what Truman hates. Why does George swipe the face off? What is the metaphor of the faceless statue? How can we know what is true and what is not? So a quote from the episode, what a bizarre and frustrating world it had become over the last decade as the value of facts had dissolved in an online social world where everyone got a megaphone for free. In the online world, the truth has become more truthless than ever. Clever, trademark Stephen Colbert and your truthiness. I think we've actually devolved from truthiness into outright truthless news in some cases. I mean, the internet has given more intellectual potential to the individual since books. Clearly things like this podcast wouldn't exist without it. But when anyone can publish anything for practically nothing, a key differentiating downside between the two is certainly the hardship of recognizing the truth from a lie, the real news from fake news, the real content from slick ad placement. And the scale and speed with which so many eyeballs see anything published is astounding. And all of this shows in the fact that young people are struggling with critical thinking and figuring out what's real. And how couldn't they? When you think about it, it's you against Google, and you're not going to win. In fact, you're not even invited to play. And they're not playing fair. But you know, they being both Google and the razor-honed rhetoric and marketing tactics, being used against you. You can look forward to episode EF7, the one with Edward, who is the rhetoric and propaganda master, if you want to learn a little more about that side of things. But this episode mentions the three knowledge acquisition models. But one could argue there's a fourth, social media. So you heard it here first. The age-old debate has been updated. Empiricism, rationalism, skepticism, and social media the most voluminous and inaccurate of the knowledge acquisition models. So, joking, but not really. I mean, the way we consume social media really is different than the other modes. It's a little of all of them. To buy into anything you read on Twitter or Facebook requires questionable reasoning, suspensions of, and empirical evaluation of how the post makes you emotionally react, and unusually highs and lows in the areas of skeptical behavior. So it's got it all. But learning via social media has definitely as much potential as it has challenges. And we can see traditional media outlets struggling to compete even with the likes of YouTube and Twitter. Even 30 years ago, a platform where a single person with a digital microphone can create a bigger impact than an entire news company that's backed by millions of dollars would have been hard to imagine. But the classic companies have to fight tooth and nail to survive, and this results in news of questionable quality. So on the other side, we have social news and people who post spurious news as facts, and not necessarily because they want to exploit or hurt someone, but many times they just lack lack the knowledge to know that it is, in fact, spurious. Nevertheless, Information does circulate, and the more it goes around, the harder it is to recognize truth from a lie. So on one side, we have people in news companies who are educated in journalism, but pressured by deadlines, paychecks, and realizing a declining percentage of of eyeballs. And on the other side, we have people with the freedom to talk about whatever they want, but often lack the skills or interest in properly presenting the truth. And we have to embrace our responsibility in this equation. The news is sensational because people crave drama. From the ancient Greek playwrights to Shakespeare to BuzzFeed, creating bland or even just upbeat stories just doesn't sell as well. We want tragedies. Human nature and human psychology wants to hear about the serial killer, not the third grade teacher who's just been helping people for three decades. So, I mean, you'd think there is plenty of drama to be had already in the thousands of Netflix shows that can be streamed for practically free now. But sadly, our appetite for seemingly real drama seems insatiable, and even the news has to be exciting, or at least negative emotion-inducing. So we're drawn to click on the crap, almost in the hope that it's real. So we're to blame. We cause the demand, and we have to step back from it and realize we have this tendency in order to self police ourselves. Can we call Batman or someone if we fail in this self control? Is there any hope left? It, it comes down to us. How solid is your ability to defend against the deluge of questionable information that happens the moment you turn on your mobile device? Did you bar the gates and position the archers to? Be ready for battle, prepared to fight off bad ideas, and not take everything at just face value. Just acknowledging the psychology needed to choose what you click more wisely can be enough to make better choices. There are loads of highly useful and quality things online, but first we need to make our way through the lies voluntarily. So yes, it's about acquiring the experience, empiricism, and applying reason to your decisions, rationalism, all while deciding what to be hesitant about, skepticism. For instance, I learned more about myself from writing and creating this podcast than probably from anything else I've done. You earn a lot of wisdom the hard way in the tumultuous times of entrepreneurship, which I've done for two decades. Actually, I continually realize I don't know as much as I thought, or at least that my positions aren't as well thought through as I think they are. When you realize the nuance required to develop a genuinely good opinion, you become a little wiser and don't speak as much as you realize that your opinion carries less weight. So that's one of the reasons for the fictional format with multiple sides being debated in dialogue. And maybe that's more of the balance that we all need to aim for why the question what is the truth why do i believe what i believe and how did the episode come to be so a quote from the episode and because the truth is not always pleasant critical thinking also requires a conscious practice to remain optimistic in the face of it the truth is also not what most people desire to find so understanding this can help us cope with knowing it so i'd say this question what is the truth is one of the most relevant questions of the whole season one of the Evolve Faster podcast. So we live in this fake news culture, but it's nothing new. It's more of a current pinnacle of the entire phenomenon. Fake news and manipulation of truth are as old as humanity, but it's just different because of technology. And the truth is one of those things that that's particularly interesting because there's such a thick veil concealing it even when you feel like you've dug deep enough to peek behind that veil. Sometimes that's what makes it even more elusive. Growing up, you're taught to speak the truth. But as you go further in life, you slowly notice the cracks in the facade. So an early life example is with your parents. You know how it goes something like this. You're sitting at the dinner table and your mom is trying her best to convince you that the broccoli is delicious. But you try it and you hate it. Oddly, my two-year-old loves it, but I remember hating it. So now you're a young kid facing this enormous confusion. She's saying it's delicious, and you're certain your parents are telling you the truth. You want to trust these people, but how could they be steering you so wrong on this? But to you, it's like having a pile of mud in your mouth. So are you lying to yourself about the damn broccoli, or are they lying to you? I'm sure I didn't bring this broccoli contemplation to that level of consciousness when I was a kid, and it probably doesn't justify it now either. But of course, this is just one subjective truth, and there are many things that are now framed as being relative to your perspective, even when something is more of an objective truth. You know, and maybe a couple other adult examples. Religion. There are clearly several distinctly different versions of what the truth are here about where the universe came from or look at something that should be scientific and figured out by now like what should we eat to be healthy i mean this is a this is a cluster The, the government tells you one thing they've changed their tune on it completely over the last 40 years and all the every diet that comes out is completely conflicting with the other ones these are all experts in some way releasing this information But nobody has, nobody knows what the truth is on this. And maybe it is a very subjective truth, this one, based on each body type, but this is a good example. So as an adult, you have these more serious conflicts arise and play with your mind about all these critical areas of your mental life, belief, politics, relationship, career, health, finances. I mean, it's it's sort of a one-way ticket to insanity from broccoli to a madman. It's an enormous bite to take for a single human being. The truth was a critical part of season one of the podcast. So probably the underpinning foundation of it all, actually. So the arc of the season, season one, is about mind. So what's more fundamental than figuring out why you believe what you believe. So it wasn't a question of what to do, but how to do it. How to share my thoughts creatively without sounding like a broken record which is probably how I sound right now, at least that's how I sound to myself. I've dug into the philosophy of it before. Upon revisiting it, it was clear that it's just not a simple thing to define. I guess that's why it's been a topic of investigation over and over for centuries. Even recently, I heard a podcast, I think last year, between Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson, and the whole thing completely derailed because they disagreed on how to define the truth. I mean, the conversation literally went nowhere because how can you if you don't agree on what it means for something to be true? So it is one a very essential question that I still don't think we've answered. In what ways does twisting of the truth directly affect us as individuals? Well, this is really what both stories in this episode, George's story and Truman's story are about because we see how distortions of the truth affect both of them in critical but very different ways. So as truth and purposeful lies impact Truman, they also impact George, a guy who tells the truth, or at least his opinion of it. He speaks his mind. And by speaking what he thinks is the truth, he blindly believes all of his cards are on the table. But unfortunately, just like it's the case for most of us, he doesn't get to decide what the online truth about him is. Many people's reputation is made online and they're not the ones making it or even supporting it in a lot of cases. But you feel powerless to the point where it could drive you crazy. Whereas with Truman, he's being told exactly what the truth is supposed to be, but he doesn't agree with it or he can't find his way to get there with all the different definitions of the truth he's being told. It was challenging in a good way to finally sit down and do the final rewrite on this episode. So the final rewrite to weave back and forth between Truman and George's case to the point where both stories collapse around different interpretations of what the truth was to them in their separate but different situations. Because outside some natural truths like two plus two equals four, what do we have? There's a continuum. Once you get beyond absolute truths to where everything becomes shaky. So even in science, where we have truths about certain things that seem logical and proved, but scientists are even starting to overturn some of Einstein's work now, as I mentioned in the intro. So, facts that were true for decades are suddenly less true, or maybe they're going to be upgraded. So, I remember reading about statisticians proving that modern scientists are more wrong than right, and that it will continue happening. I'll try to find the article and link to it in the show notes. But what if the statisticians in their research are also wrong? It's easy to take the latest article that you've just read as the current truth. But is it really? It takes a lot of work to know anything with any degree of certainty. And that's why critical thinking is crucial. The scientific method is the best thing we have to chip away aging layers of the truth in search of better versions beneath. But even science has its limitations in the face of this monstrous challenge. Finally, even if these scientific truths can be overthrown, or at least evolved or upgraded, then just think how easy it is to shake our subjective and emotional ground. It's much easier to identify something as false than to confirm it to be true. So this is where critical thinking becomes such an important asset. It can't always lead you directly and easily to a better version of the truth and better questions but it is the best framework of bullshit detection that we have so you want to have the skeptical rigor of a professional fact checker but be open-minded to any possibility it's not an easy line to walk but i think we need more of exactly this is there a definition of the truth that actually works let me quote a few sections from the episode to bring to light the challenge that this question and the entire episode was highlighting. Kant's idea was to measure if our actions could be universalized. That's his simple criterion. And this is how the government came up with the foundational truth. An honest citizen makes the world a better place. If we tell the truth and nothing but the truth, the world will indeed become a better place. And it has. So the next quote. Kant had said that Enlightenment is man's release from his self-induced inability to make use of his understanding without direction from another. An enlightened person, in other words, is a person who uses critical thinking to get rid of the shackles that tie him to someone else, be it a person or a government. Critical thinking creates an independent individual who doesn't need constraints set on him by others for the greater good. Instead, the person alone creates the greater good by thinking for himself. And finally, William Jane said, the truth is the name of whatever proves itself to be good in the way of belief. As you can see, the truth is wily and some of the greatest minds have grappled with trying to pin down universal definitions. And one by one, Truman shoots these down as not being entirely representative of the situation he's in. It's slippery. So just for fun, let's look beyond philosophers and see how their work, about the truth over millennia led to actual dictionary definitions of the truth. So one of them from Merriam-Webster's describes the truth as, the property as of a statement of being in accord with fact or reality, okay? Another one from Cambridge dictionary, a fact or principle that is thought to be true by most people. If I'm Truman, and technically I am, along with Antonio, then I could poke holes in both of these all day long as well. So both definitions have aspects of feeling solid, but are also quite flexible and the second one especially shows how a good chunk of our subjective truths aren't engraved in stone. And you can see where this breaks down. Like the pragmatism definition. True by most people is very tribal. Most people in science believe in climate change. Most people who buy into the marketing against it say it's not. Most Christians believe one story and most Muslims believe another. Those are two gigantic tribes of people and to them, there is truth in the volume of that belief pool. They can't both be true. But both those groups have killed one another for centuries because each side thinks that their side is the truth. Literally handed down by God herself, in fact. Ooh, the fundamentalists on both sides of that issue aren't going to like that gender shift, but anyway, it's insanity if you think it through. I believe around this point, we started asking ourselves a bit different question, which later served as further inspiration for creating the episode. If theoretically there was an undeniable definition of the truth, would your life change in any practical way? Could you use this indestructible truth about the truth as a tool? Probably not, unless you ended up on a game show where the question was all that stood between you and you know some big cash prize. So maybe the truth or definition of the truth isn't necessary, at least not to the extent we think it is. To get back to my food analogy, I didn't like broccoli as a kid, and that was my belief and thus my truth that for that mentally fragile time of my life, I'm more stable now, and I accept broccoli as a health-upgrading friend. Maybe you do like broccoli, and for you, that's your truth. Now let's bring this to a serious level. Let's say every person should have the same rights, while I'd argue we shouldn't. Our truth is separately based on our separate and unequal experiences. So how can we check which is the actual truth? And this new can of worms leads to an extended philosophy into utilitarianism, consequentialism, and more isms, trying ultimately to get better and better ways of defining the truth and what will make the most sense for people to do in any situation. It's a hairy mess and it's clearly not yet solved as episodes like episode EF11 delve into this with artificial intelligence soon to be making these kinds of ethical decisions on our behalf. And for one final truth challenge from the episode, just for fun, a quote I assume you've heard of the Golden Rule. This rule says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But as you'll see, this can be exploited because a rule like this would turn a misogynist into a sadist and a suicidal individual into a mass murderer. So the good old Golden Rule is even questionable. Is anything sacred? How did you figure out how to interplay the two stories? This question makes me think back. This was another challenging knot to untangle somewhere in between the story development knot and the Orwellian knot that we had to fix. And this middle knot was exactly this question, how to make these two stories interplay and work within the theme. So when writing for a podcast, there's obviously only words and sound. And in this case, the amount of drama I want to put into the performance That befits the story at hand. You can't use visuals to help with delivering the story. Just like with books, it depends on on the writing creating the visuals. So the transition between the stories had to be very clear, as I didn't want to leave people thinking this was a parallel story within Truman's world. So when you have visuals, it's easier to create a transition that makes it perfectly clear what's happening. But with just audio, it's a bit different. I remember jumping around with that simple sentence in his studio under the glow of his reading lamp. George marked the page and looked back at the table of contents in the book of short stories in his hand a couple times. And this is a new format for me, so I'm probably not quite confident enough in what my audience has the patience to notice. I probably could have gone with just, George closed the book. That's probably what Hemingway would have done. And as I get comfortable knowing who's listening and how intently they are listening, I'll hopefully feel that I can start doing more of that. Or maybe I'll decide that that that's not the best thing. The version I left in is definitely more descriptive and mood-setting. So I'm not sure if there's a right way, but on the trusting your reader front, by the end of season one, in fact, in episodes like EF-13, I definitely more and more left it to the reader to figure out and hope for the best. Also, I think with this episode that we dug into the power of silence more and began to leverage it, inserting a few seconds of zero sound here and there to let the listener's brain almost take a break and subconsciously let them know something's happening. Like for example, a shift in the story or a time skip. So it's a trick we started to use more as the season went on, I think to good effect. I won't say more because you know, the magician isn't supposed to reveal all of his tricks. Who or what is Truman based on? Is this like Kafka's trial? Yeah, it's definitely inspired by Kafka and his work, and the episode was also influenced by Orwell in 1984. For Kafka, there's the scene in the episode where two guards intercept Truman and take him to the interrogation, similar to what happens to Josef K in the trial. And since we were both honoring these sources as much as using them as familiar inspiration for people to work from, we outright mention the similarities in the script with, you know, in Truman's self-dialogue, he he actually says it. But the overall episode can be a dedication to any dystopian story ever. A, A character getting crushed by a system or society that's different, but curiously similar in a twisted way to the one we live in. So in this case, not just twisted, but turned on its head. In America, for example, lying at the moment is a far cry from being illegal when our commander-in-chief does it for sport on a daily basis and his base doesn't seem to mind. So the main difference is the premise that Truman lives in a country that forbids lying and the episode speculates on how that society would function. How would an individual find his or her way in a society like that? Finally, through the speculation, the episode tries to demystify what is the truth. And then, of course, it takes a completely different left turn by realizing that the Truman story is in itself a work of fiction in the hands of a real of the real protagonist, dealing with the different, modern-day, totally realistic issues of the truth. Though that's not to say that someone might not attempt making lying illegal someday making the Truman storyline a not-so-speculative fictional leap of faith a la Handmaid's Tale. Margaret Atwood, call me. Let's collaborate on a novel or a screen series about Truman's world. Uh, Since it tackles the concept of the truth, it's closer to what we're currently experiencing. In our current world, where everybody can say anything and we have more fake news than ever, lying is a real problem. So the episode took a real situation and turned it upside down by asking, okay, what if lying was completely illegal? As for Truman, he's the scapegoat on whom we tested out what would happen. And he's also the reason we decided for him to be a copywriter, probably influenced by the fact that Antonio was actively working in that capacity while we wrote the script, which internally took the brunt of a lot of our jokes. So with Truman, the whole twisting of the truth happens. He's accused of twisting the truth when from his perspective, it isn't necessarily a lie. Like in real life where we face constant situations where something that's obvious, an obvious lie to you might not be to someone else and vice versa. In the end, don't you think it's, it isn't so much about defining the truth as it is about the process? It's about what your intent is with the truth in hand. Was there any chance that Truman was going to get out of the truth course? Why leave it unresolved? The reason I like unresolved or half-resolved stories is it gives the power to the listener. So the stage is set and now it's up to you to conclude what should have happened. Throughout the story, Truman makes decisions, but there's no reason for you not to make decisions instead of him. Maybe there was a chance, maybe there wasn't. It's up to you to create the truth. So The great thing is there is no wrong answer. It all depends on your trail of thought and what you think could have happened. And if you're left pissed at me and still thinking it through, then I've done my job. When I first started, I knew unresolved stories were a powerful tool in my arsenal as I wanted to leave space for listeners for their thoughts. But lazy work where this art is left unresolved for the sake of being unresolved wasn't going to cut it. So I knew that every time I decided to leave a story unresolved, there had to be a specific reason for that, you know, plot-wise. In other words, it had to make sense. And again, this is where the story inside a story was able to shine. Because suddenly cutting the first story, you're left with a shock that serves as a segue to the second. So also with this particular episode, I wanted to do something unique. Since the topic is the truth, I knew by simply writing and recording this episode, I was presenting something I needed to stand behind. I'm portraying it as the truth. But since I'm taking on the idea that the truth can sometimes be relative, does that mean my thesis that the truth isn't always the truth is also not necessarily true? So I needed to make it clear without shoving it down the listener's throat that They needed to decide if this episode and its message make any sense, because in the end it all comes down to that. You sculpting the truth and making rational conclusions outside the episode. With each episode written, my opinion, and even what I thought it might be, drifts further away from the essence of the story and the takeaway became more about defining the big question for the listener to draw her own conclusions on what is the truth has been taken on by so many great thinkers for so many years, I certainly wasn't going to solve that in one episode. So this episode has gone way too long already, and I'm just getting to all the questions that I didn't want to answer anyway. What does George write in the book that only the statue can read? What's on the screens? Um, What is it that Truman can't stand? Why does George swipe the face off? What's the metaphor of the faceless statue? So... I now get to avoid all those questions, but I will resolve and wrap up how I started the story about what happened and how things were resolved. What I call the Orwellian knot on how to avoid copying this dystopian vibe into the story. So first, I suggested to Antonio the previously mentioned closing the book scene. That gave me hope, meaning that we created this story within a story, and all of a sudden the Truman story was just, you know, being used as a tool almost to actually tell George's story. This gave me hope, and I let this idea breathe. So I'd re-listened to the episode about once a month, hoping that an idea would come to me. So then on that frustrating day in Bali, while covered in the sewer smell and mothballs, I had a breakthrough the hard way, which was about 60 minutes on the phone with Antonio with a bad internet connection, beating our heads against the wall over Skype. And when I was about to give up, I recalled, just came up in discussion, a line I had written for the TEDx talk that I did back in 2015, which didn't get used, and which I'd hoped to use in the the talk. And that statement was, the truth is clay these days. I threw out the idea after saying this to, to Antonio that George, the guy reading the book, was actually a sculptor. And then we could just, you know, just basically bury this metaphor right into the story because he's literally going through some situation where his truth is being manipulated for him. And eventually that became obvious that that should be social opinion about him. And he's like literally working with Clay and he ha- this metaphor comes to him. It was this you know typical creative moment where i had this old idea that i never knew what to do with i'd I'd probably tried i'd probably rewritten that line in five or six different things starting with the ted talk and just never used it and it came up again here and then all of a sudden there was a a connection where this guy could be actually be a sculptor and make that storyline work so we hung up and i walked back and forth in that Stinky ass condo, and step by step, the whole idea came to life, where the sculptor would embody the principles of the of the episode. And it was super rewarding because there's just there's usually never like this like big Eureka moment that's not based on anything. And this one came, you know, one drop of blood at a time. It's a very ugly process, but really that's creativity, at least it has always been for me. It's usually not very sexy. So yes, I though although I called the episode The Truth is Clay in the Hands of a Sculptor, which might lead you to believe that that was always the initial idea, actually that metaphor came maybe about two-thirds through the process. And it came in the kind of bloodiest fashion possible. Now that I look at the episode, that's, I don't know, six or 7,000 words long, I smile because, you know, it was distilled through hard work, frustration, wondering what's the point and every other terrible feeling you can imagine and same as every other episode you know this one had probably at least four or five thousand words unused that got cut but the ugliness of doing this eventually pays off when you stick with it i was searching for the truth of the podcast itself like what could the podcast itself aspire to do for people and my character george had to face pursuing the truth in the same way we were while making the episode. So this made me wonder what areas of our lives are we not dealing in the truth? Is there a way that you, me, or anyone else can change to not do that? And how would a change like that feel knowing what the actual truth is? Does that help you in any way? Well, I'd love to hear thoughts on that. And I'll just wrap up this already lengthy episode here with a quote that I think sums it all up. The truth is really nothing more than clay in the hands of a sculptor. And as you can see, only one of us can be the artist who creates the rules and the truth. So I hope you enjoyed this behind the podcast of episode EF5. You can always submit questions to evolvefaster.com forward slash discuss. And next week we'll take a look at another set of ask me anything questions about the same episode. Take care. See you next week. And thanks for listening. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated. And you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com. Forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes, and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support, at whatever amount you can afford, is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster.